Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at David Gordon Green's Halloween Ends. It's the last Halloween movie, Andy. They swear this time. Yeah, for real. For real. Never uh, again. There's no way they're again. ever going to resurrect this property. Evil dies tonight. Yes. Uh, we're also taking a look at Blonde on Netflix, uh, the Marilyn Monroe biopic. It came out uh, a few weeks ago, but we missed it uh, for other stuff. Now we finally have the opportunity to sit down and watch it. We're going to tell you what we think. Uh, we're going to take a look at some comments regarding Halloween Ends' uh, box office performance, Halloween Ends' box office performance, from the director of Freaky, Christopher Landon. Uh, he didn't think it did that well, and he's got something to say about day-and-day -day releases for theatrical and digital movies coming out same day. And before we get to all that, we need to talk about the news. Our first story this week, Netflix is adding an ad-supported tier. I don't believe it. This is something we talked about on the show for a while. Uh, Netflix has historically never had ads before. And now, for one low, low monthly price, you're going to be able to watch Netflix with ads. Andy, how cheap can people get it? Starting at the low, low price of $6.99 a month on November 3rd. Uh, like Zach said, Netflix will be rolling out its ad tier thing it's add tier tier uh which has been talked about for a while as subscriber growth has slowed especially in north america uh just some highlights of what's going to be happening uh, like i said november 3rd there's going to be an average of four to five minutes of commercials per hour not all at once kind of spread it throughout uh you will not be able to download movies or series if you're on this tier and not all content is available uh, which is really annoying. <laughs> That's actually what kept me from doing some of these ad tiers on other services because um, the thing I wanted to watch was behind the premium tier. And uh, the big one is that uh, it's going to be in 720p, glorious 720p. Glorious. Uh, the, the ad tier one. So there, I guess if you're watching on a phone, it might be okay, but uh, that's really pretty low qual quality in 2022. I... First off, I get why people are, I get why the headlines are opening with the price, right? Netflix is going to be available as low as $6.99. I can already see the Netflix banners, right? Netflix can start today starting as low as $6.99, right? Like, that'll be their base tier, their, their new price they offer everybody. They will tout that as we are affordable to everybody, which is fine. Like, I, I agree. One of the nice things about an ad-supported tier is you can get on it super cheap. And for me, who doesn't want to watch a lot of Netflix content anymore, that might be worth me chasing down. Like, that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing if you're cool with the ads. The thing I'm surprised is not making a bigger a bigger deal is the 720p. Like, that's hard to believe. You're not getting anything in HD anymore? Like, good lord. <laughs> that's not That's not good. That's really bad. Yeah, that's something that I, I would probably go for this because I don't watch a lot of Netflix. I just use a couple of things a month. Um, and that's actually really pretty attractive for the lower price, uh, but not at, not for 720p. Like, that's... Even for phone, that's that's too low. And if you have uh, an, a big TV, that's gonna be pr pretty bad. It's gonna be so uh, kind of pixelated and just uh, not look good. I would definitely go for it if if it was still gonna be a, at the normal resolution, but not not at that. Yeah, it's worth mentioning as well. It says here that their basic plan without advertising, it's ninety nine per month, ninety nine nine ninety nine per month, ten dollars, also has seven twenty p resolution. I didn't know that. Uh, I don't know if that's a new thing starting November when this rolls out. This will be coming to the United States November 10th. Uh, it'll be hitting some other countries a few days before us. Um, Andy, what are the odds you switch to ad-supported Netflix? Are you going to tell anybody about this? Do you think this is going to... I mean, what do you, how do you think it's going to do? Um, I, I mean, I, I think that the lower price point is definitely going to get some people, and I think some people might 
you know, that don't care about re- resolution might uh, go for it. And again, I think that if you're watching on a tablet or or a phone, it, it's probably fine that the lower screen resolution is going to be okay. I'm sure they'll get a bump. And it's always nice to have options. So it'll be interesting to see how much uh, people either switch to it or, or kind of flock to it. I'll be interested to see like exactly how ads roll out on the platform. Will it be like YouTube where you can watch five seconds and then skip it? Or do you have to watch the whole thing? Um, one thing Netflix is really good at is catering content to you based on your previous watch history, things you've been interested in on the platform. I wonder if they'll angle advertising towards that at all or if it'll just be like ads for, you know, Tide Pods. And I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I guess I want to know what they'll be advertising on Netflix and what that experience is going to be like. So while I may not jump on it, if you are a user, you should jump on it too. Also, uh, a little bit of news right before the show started. Uh, Netflix has added a bunch of subscribers, right? I didn't actually make a banner for this. I'll just whip it open. Yes, the I mean, not not an hour ago, the uh, uh, Netflix earnings call happened, which was really positive for them. They added 2.4 million subscribers, which they uh, which was over double than what they had predicted. They had predicted around a million, mostly out of uh, Asia. Uh, only a hundred thousand or so subscribers from the North America area. So Netflix doing much better adding more subscribers, uh, with, um, which is a good thing. And then they're also going to be cracking down on passwords. So we'll kind of see how, how that, uh, how that goes as well. Yeah. I saw something about that, that password sharing, uh, crackdown. In fact, just the other day, they released a new feature for account transfer. If you are one profile on somebody else's like host profile, you can set up a new Netflix account and transfer your profile and your watch history and all your time that you've watched stuff and everything over to your new paid profile, which is great. Netflix is looking out for you, uh, the soon-to-be-paying consumer. I don't love this. I think one of the assets that Netflix has that people really like is, you know, the ability to share passwords. People like that. There's a reason you have five profiles on one account. So Netflix, in an effort to make more money and move forward in the industry, taking away a feature most of its people already like doesn't seem like a great idea to me, but I get it. You got to make money. I get password sharing is kind of cursory. I hope it doesn't start a trend and other streamers start following because Netflix, like it or not, does kind of lead a bit of the charge sometimes. They're the first big one. You know, when Netflix makes move, other streamers take notice. Disney Plus will notice what they're doing. Hulu, which is also Disney. HBO. Um, That matters. And I hope they're not setting a precedent for you know poor consumerism because nobody wants that least of all us here on off script any other thoughts on this andy before we move on yeah i just wanted to add one thing so obviously if you go to the ad tier netflix netflix is losing money but they're hoping to make that back through the the advertising and kind of have it balance out um i was talking to a friend of mine who works in advertising and they said apparently these netflix advertising uh, packages are pretty expensive and not really great uh, from the advertising point, but because it's a new market, people are just kind of, advertisers are just sort of paying it and, you know, going to see what happens. It's all brand new. Right. Like, I can't imagine they'll be advertising anything local to you. It'll all be national brands, right? It'll be Clorox and I don't, I don't know what else, but, um, you know, that that's great, right? Great. Good for Netflix. They'll figure it out. Hopefully, hopefully they see a bump. Hopefully they, they, they move forward. They did mention that something that's been helping them recently uh, is some of their content like Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story, which is doing great for them. Stranger Things season four, The Gray Man, which we reviewed here on this show. Um, 
keep it on off script for more news from Netflix. Like it or not, they have they are an influence in the film industry, and that's exactly what we do here on this show. And speaking of the film industry, DC's making moves, which is weird. I, I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> I'm following by, uh, in anticipation of the upcoming Black Adam release, uh, DC has been signing deals and shaking hands with all kinds of talent in the industry, mostly people they've worked with before. Andy, you want to dig into this a little bit? Do you have time to read it? I can I can talk about it a little bit. No, no, I've I've read this one. Uh, yes, with the imminent uh, release of Black Adam in just a couple of days, we've gotten some news on the DC front. Uh, this is going to be Walter Hamada's kind of final film. He was head of DC Films and will be stepping down oh, no. after Black Adam. <laughs> he almost stepped down before, but he agreed to stay on. And so there's talk of what 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 is happening now. What's DC doing? We know a little bit from this article. Uh, James Gunn is going to be involved in some new projects, a, a standalone film, probably possibly another steer- series. And he's currently working on uh, Peacemaker to the the second season of peacemaker uh the kind of the the big the bigger story here is that they they are really looking to bring superman back into the fold specifically henry cavill's superman which had one he had his solo film that kicked off this whole thing back in 2013 it's been quite a while we never really got a proper sequel um but apparently apparently uh dwayne johnson Star of Black Adam is really big on getting Superman back in the fold. I feel like he's kind of spo- half spoiled the movie <laughs> talking about this. Uh, and there was, but there was also just some. Uh, th- what this means is that that the other Superman property that was kind of in in the works by uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, which was going to feature a black Superman. I have a feeling that's probably not going to uh, happen, and we're going to have Henry Cavill back back in the suit. Uh, I think people are hopeful for that. I I, I am. Um, I, I like Henry Cavill. I, I wish he had gotten more work as Superman. That being said, we reported that Ta-Nehisi Coates' Black Superman script like early, way, like a couple years ago, you and I were talking about that on this show. And I was like, dude, this is exciting. Like this, this, this is a good direction. This is a way forward. This is something new. But DC's been seeing a really big boon lately uh, between press for Ezra Miller on The Flash and The Rock pushing Black Adam like it is the hottest property ever to exist. We'll change cinema, somebody said. Uh you know, DC's got a lot going on for him. Obviously, they've had some success with Peacemaker over on HBO Max with James Gunn. Uh, and it sounds like he is interested in doing more with them, which is good stuff. And additionally, uh, I'm curious to see what they do with uh, Matt Reeves' Batman. You know, I, I heard something about a rogues gallery of villain properties they'd like to produce. Uh, big potential for Clayface. I, I, I thought Clayface might have been the, the, the twist at the <laughs> end of the Batman, but here's here's hoping. Yeah, I, I had heard some of that too. That um, Matt Reeves is really interested in possibly a very grounded uh, Mister Freeze story, which would be really good. Mister Freeze is uh, has a kind of a tragic background story. If you're not familiar, the there's a classic Batman <laughs> the animated series episode on it. Uh, but he would be a great character, and some of the others that maybe aren't big enough for their own film, but would be good on a you know if you did several uh, like. Clayface, Professor Pig, I saw mentioned in in there, Killer Croc maybe. Uh, so th- there's just lots of of potential and production kind of happening at DC right now. 
Yeah, for sure. That reminds me a couple other bits before I move on to our last story. Um, I did hear from an interview with Colin Farrell, who played the Penguin in the Batman most recently. Uh, he is going to be in the new HBO show based on the Penguin in the Batman. And he said that that show is taking place just like days or weeks after the events of the Batman, which is kind of neat. He said Gotham's still underwater. And I was like, ooh. That's oh, wow. interesting. It's it's not like a year a play, or like play all for prequel. power. He's like, no, no, yeah. This is like following up pretty quickly after what happens in that movie, which is cool. Um, and additionally, one one more thing about Dwayne Johnson because I do want to talk about this, uh, dude. He said Henry Cavill's name in his red carpet premiere like twelve times. He kept saying Superman, and I was like, stop, like. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, it, it it seems like all but an assurance that that yeah. he's going to be in this movie. I, even even like the he's ruined the, ruined the cameo. Yeah. yeah, so like I don't know if he is or not, but uh, you know, I don't I don't know. I, I'm hopeful either way. I, I think I think Cavill coming back as Superman would be, um, you know, I, it could be good for the character who we haven't seen in a while. Right? That that would reassure people. And in a way, that's exactly what Superman should be a hero in dark times. So. Hopefully he's a hero, whether or not he appears in Black Adam. We'll see. Um, any other thoughts on this one, Andy? I'm ready to go. Mm, our last story. Uh, at the box office, Halloween ends, opens to a so-so $40 million. Uh, $41 million, actually, the lowest of the trilogy. I don't think I'm that surprised by this, despite the current like boon in horror films, which is huge in the industry. Uh, it's the third, right? It's, it's actually like the 11th Halloween movie, if you really want to count. But like it's the third in the trilogy. Not everybody saw the last one. Oh, what do you think of this, Andy? Uh, it's not surprising, actually, having seen the movie, which we'll talk about in, in a bit. Bit because the Thursday night previews were actually pretty strong. It looked like it was on track for maybe fifty, fifty-five million dollar opening, uh, and it it's kind of fallen pretty short of that. Uh, almost half as much as the first uh, Halloween went Halloween twenty eighteen, I believe, uh, doing that those kinds of numbers. But even lower than last year's uh, Halloween Kills, which was I think around fifty fifty million or so. Uh, and that one opened day and date also on uh, Peacock plus or with that streaming service uh so it it, we're starting to see diminishing returns on this franchise for sure additionally halloween ends did not have the brightest reviews uh it had at least the time when we went and saw it a 47 percent on rotten tomatoes and had a c plus cinema score which is not outstanding uh halloween kills meanwhile had a b minus so it's not much better but they're seemingly a generally agreed upon dip in quality, but it's worth mentioning, uh, as I've said before in the show, when a film is close to 50% on Rotten, that does not mean it is only half a good movie. That means it's divisive. People either like it or they don't. Uh, and I thought going into Halloween Kills or Halloween Ends uh, that maybe, you know, there's a little something there. It turns out I think there is. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more in just a minute. But, Andy, you make a good point. Like, the day and date, ultimately, like does affect this undeniably. And I guess we'll talk about that more in between our reviews here in a minute, because Christopher Landon, director of Freaky, <laughs> has got hot takes about that hot and whether takes. that's a good thing or bad thing in the industry. Um, otherwise, uh, I think people were hoping it was going to be getting numbers like Smile got, which was a breakaway uh, for horror films right now. It made like $120 million or something yeah. on like that's a shoestring a budget. Yeah, that was an $18 million movie. Making over a hundred million dollars, like that's yeah. massive, 
Yeah. And which is really funny in contrast to something like Amsterdam, which was for no reason an eighty billion dollar movie and is gonna lose like a hundred million because it's <laughs> earned like ten. You, I, I should have sent it to you. I saw a great version of that meme, like uh, it's two characters in Dragon Ball Z, and they're like, "Let's go fight somewhere where nobody, nobody's around," and then they're like fighting in a theater with Amsterdam playing on the screen. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, yeah, Amsterdam we reviewed last week on the show. Go back and check out episode one ninety two if you want to hear that. Uh, I think with that we should probably jump into halloween ends uh, i'm gonna be taking the summary on this one before i jump into it uh halloween ends is as i just said the third in the trilogy from david gordon green and writer danny mcbride the comedian danny mcbride who you know from such hbo shows as eastbound and down and the righteous gemstones uh the two of them took a spin on John Carpenter's Halloween uh, following Rob Zombie's reboot of the movies uh, with Halloween 1 and 2 in the mid-2000s. Uh, now we are getting to the end of this new Halloween trilogy with Michael Myers and Laurie Strode uh, with Jamie Lee Curtis reprising her role. But this movie was, like I said, a little divisive. came out and it was a little different and people weren't sure where it was going to go. So Andy and I bravely went in. Andy infamously did not read anything about this. I could not get off Twitter reading about it. I, I, I was really <laughs> curious, like why people were really split on this. I saw a bunch of memes and ultimately I don't think much of it spoiled my experience, but I do want to talk about it. The movie is Halloween ends. It's been four years since Michael Myers vanished without a trace. So Halloween Ends is the story of Laurie Strode four years after the events of Halloween Kills, which is weird because Halloween and Halloween Kills are the same night. They take place right next to each other. And it feels like Halloween Kills ends with the feeling that we will just pick right up on the same Halloween in 2019. But not so. Four years later, Laurie Strode has moved on. She's writing a memoir. She's living with her daughter or granddaughter, Allison. Michael Myers has not been seen since Halloween 2019, that fateful night. Uh, and things are pretty fine in Haddonfield, Illinois. Like, actually, Lori, Lori's being kind of a whole character now. And she's not just like this crazy survivor from The Walking Dead kind of person who's armed <laughs> to the teeth and ready for vengeance. She's, she's, she's grown as a person. And she's writing this memoir and reflecting on her time. And that's when, one fateful night, a young babysitter is accused of a horrific crime. And suddenly, the evils and the plights of Haddonfield turn on this person. And it's up to Lori to finally face this evil that might be bigger than herself uh that i think is probably the best way to summarize this movie without giving a lot away uh, andy i was stunned how much of this movie isn't in the trailers um there's yeah, a whole definitely <laughs> something whole, we need to talk about the whole plot line that is not at all in the trailers for this movie and the trailers in fact make it look like look a lot like halloween kills gonna be the big face-off between michael and laurie right you got some shots of michael myers with the messed up mask after he got burned in halloween kills and laurie's like come and get it right it just looks looks more like that and i think i think that might have hurt it uh, but what they did here is different uh for better or worse so let's jump into talking about it uh andy what did you think of halloween kills halloween ends. Some... god halloween ends what did you think of halloween yeah. ends? i'm sorry go ahead there are some good ideas in this there are some interesting things some that work better than others i i think the biggest issue is that this feels like a different like it belongs in a different trilogy of movies or just kind of on its own it doesn't feel it feels like we're almost starting again from the beginning, it, it, again, it does. The first two films, it's, 
happen the same night. You think the third one is going to pick up where that one's and you know, it's going to be a big showdown. But yeah, there's lots of decisions that are like, you know, we're four years later, not the, the same night. Um, Laurie Strode isn't really the main character. Michael Myers isn't really the main character. Um, and I do think w- th- this is one of the things we should get into is the plot is very different from pretty much any other Halloween movie that, that you may have seen where we're introduced to a, uh, a character named Corey who has, has an accident at the beginning of the film and then turns into the, the town recluse. He's shunned, he's bullied, he's, uh, you know, kind of turned into a monster by the town, which I think is supposed to be some sort of weird social commentary um, and kind of, you know, walks in the footsteps of, of Michael Myers. But it's it's a very bizarre, like you have this character that we have not seen in three films, in two films, all of a sudden is kind of the main character of this movie. And it, again, it doesn't show you that in the trailers. Not and, at all. Uh, yeah, and and uh, like I saw a great uh, Twitter th- thing that was like, you know, Michael Myers had a great cameo in his in his own film. Um, <laughs> so the thing is, the the pl- that plot is interesting on its own. It does, but it totally does not work in the context of the other two films. Uh, th- this person, Corey, also becomes weirdly romantically involved with Laurie Strode's granddaughter, Allison, and they almost have this rom com thing going on at the beat beginning um i mean it's just bizarre bizarre in terms of the the two films that came before it on its own it kind of works yeah so halloween ends does this funny tightrope walk where it's trying to i think live up to spiritually what the original films were doing but also like wrap those up in a way that's more satisfying than the previous wrap-ups we've had with like Halloween H2O in 2000, where there was already a movie where Laurie Strode and Michael Myers had their big face off. This already happened. Like we're doing it again, except from a different angle now and, and saying, no, 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 just imagine those movies in heaven. And the thing Halloween ends, I think is trying to do well is imitate the spirit of Halloween three season of the witch, which was a Halloween movie completely devoid of Michael Myers. The only one Michael Myers is not in at all. Uh, that is a movie about uh, these killer, this company that produces these killer masks. When you wear them, they hypnotize you and <laughs> your face or I don't even really remember silver shamrock. And uh that movie was the movie John Carpenter, the original creator of Halloween, wanted to make because he that's what he wanted Halloween to be, an anthology series. Each movie was going to be a different spin on a different Halloween night where something something's happening. But when Halloween came out, it was so universally acclaimed that the studio begged him to make a second one that was a follow-up. They make Halloween 2, The Return of Michael Myers, and he does his thing. And then they make Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, and it is universally panned. Everybody's like, this movie's terrible because it's, there's no Michael Myers and this isn't what we wanted. Um, over time, people have come around on Halloween three seasons of the witch as its own horror movie, as its own thing. And people are like, actually, it's pretty good. But as a Halloween movie, it doesn't really stick the landing because it lacks a lot of like the thematic ties that would make it fit in the universe of Halloween. And this one kind of does the same thing in that <laughs> way. Like I have to give David Gordon green credit. Like he did kind of echo that original three film structure for lack of a structure. And, and that brings all of its problems uh people didn't like halloween three season of the witch because it didn't feel like it fit and i think people don't like this movie because it doesn't 
it doesn't feel like it fits. In fact, Halloween three season of the witch did not have to put in Michael Myers and talk about him and wrap up his story and, and give us a satisfying bow with Laurie Strode. This movie has to be its own thing and also carry that weight, but put Michael Myers in the spotlight as well, because he's the guy on the poster that sells tickets and Jamie Lee Curtis is on your press tour. So people got to know she's in it. And somehow you end up with this like advertising campaign where you've completely ignored the the actual plot of the movie and the actual characters in lieu of like the framing device of Michael and Lori and their final face off. And like, that's misleading. And I think that leads to people not liking what's happening. But that being said, we do need to talk about the, the actual plot and what happens in it. Cause it's, it's, I don't think, I don't think it's all that bad. Yeah, no, uh, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting because it, it would work on its own and it would work if it this weren't a Michael Myers film, if it was this story about uh, a person, a man shunned by society. It's almost it's a bit like Joker. Uh, shunned yes. and mistreated by society that turns him into uh, this killer. That's an interesting bit of horror you could do in social commentary. It just doesn't really make sense uh in this in this movie i one one take that i saw that i thought was really interesting is like this trilogy feels like it's backwards like the third movie feels like it should be where we start with with laurie trying to move on trying to live a yes. normal life and she can't because michael comes back and then in what would be the end of the film she turns into like linda hamilton in terminator 2 you know lock stocks right. two smoking barrels and you know, finishes him off. It, but again, it's all kind of, kind of happening. What feels like in reverse, we're missing this badass character who's trained all her life for this confrontation that we're introduced to in the first film, and she's uh, just trying to act like none of it happened. And she's also hardly in the film. <laughs> yeah, no, you're 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 right. I hadn't heard that read, but you're totally on 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 the ball. I, I think this would have been better as Halloween. And then Halloween Kills could have been what happens in the events of Halloween and Halloween Ends could have been the events of Halloween Kills. And I think that would have been a tighter, more put together trilogy. This this one does, to me, undeniably feel like they did not write this in advance. There was no forethought when they made the original Halloween that there was, there was going to be a trilogy. Maybe somebody had like an inkling, but had no idea where things were going to go. I think they played all their Michael Myers chips in Halloween Kills, which is good, by the way. It's not bad. It's a fine movie. Um, but then in this one, they were like, we have to do something different. We have to run in a different direction. We can't just do the same thing again. What are we going to do? How are we going to wrap this all up? And they decided to make it more about a story of like Haddonfield shared trauma about like Michael Myers, which the other two films kind of did too, especially Halloween kills. Halloween kills yeah. gets it a lot into like the <laughs> evil town. dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. Yeah. Like that's definitely a thing, but this one, they have to like bring it back around and make it this kind of wraparound story. Uh, built on the back of this babysitter character played by Rowan Campbell, who previously has done some TV. It was in a Hardy Boys series. He was in Virgin River on Netflix. Uh, nothing too exciting. He's up and coming, and he's fine in this movie, by the way. Um, it just it puts a lot of weight on the wrong character, and it leaves Michael Myers and Laurie Strode like kind of out in the cold. And then when you do get to their kind of big, you know, finale, like it's 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 like. I don't know. It's like, it's like second chunk of the third act stuff. You know, you're like, all right, like you kind of don't care at that point. The movie's almost over. You know, you're checking your watch, your popcorn's empty. You're ready for a refill. You need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so like, I, I don't know. Like I, I let, let's, let's get into it. Cause, cause there are things that I do like about this movie outside of just talking about like the framing of it. Let's jump into the plot. Um, so 
like we said, uh, uh, the film opens with a babysitter uh, meeting this young boy in the family, and hey, you're going to be watching him tonight. And along the way, uh, something terrible happens, uh, which immediately launches us into uh, Halloween. And, and we come back out of our title sequence with Laurie Strode, and she is a totally changed woman, completely different character like than, the, than Halloween Kills and Halloween and uh, Halloween and Halloween Kills. And, and it's been four years, which is also a huge jump. Like, I, there was, again, there was nothing in the previous films to indicate this was happening. They did not tell anybody it was going to be a four-year jump. So this is a surprise. And Laurie is a totally different person. She's living with their granddaughter from the previous film uh they got this nice house in Haddonfield they still live there they, why would they move right <laughs> why would like, they move yeah why would they move and she's writing her memoir and she doesn't have any guns and she doesn't have any knives <laughs> and she's like I've moved on even though Michael basically got away at the end of the last movie it's fine I'm just I'm just gonna learn to live with love in my heart and meanwhile like the town of Haddonfield has has kind of rallied up right against this babysitter uh, who was a kid who who basically he didn't, he didn't get away with what happened, but after a few years has kind of gotten out on good behavior and is just trying to live his life and get his life started and like find a college to go to or whatever. And and uh, nobody likes him. He's a town freak. And Laurie Strode, meanwhile, is also kind of the town freak, right? The, the, the victim of the Michael Myers stuff, the whole Michael Myers saga brought all this evil to Haddonfield, right? People blame her for it. Um, so the two of them like f find each other and they actually have a bit of a kinship. And that's when Lori's granddaughter, Allison, who was in the previous two films meets this young boy and they start to fancy one another, which is a bit of a surprise. You don't expect like a romance with this new character who the film opens with. Like it's kind of surprising, right? It puts Lori and Allison on the back burner for this other new individual. Yeah, th this is one of the things that kind of comes out of nowhere as uh, their meet cute, which is completely un. Uh, it's not. It's not realistic. It's not convincing. That's what the word I'm looking for. Uh, they meet in about two seconds while he's at the ER and she's she's like the his attending nurse or whatever, and they like instantly fall in love and they're like, oh my god, I have to be with you all all the time. Let's leave Haddonfield together, uh, <laughs> but but we, but we can't because of our terrible past. Um, you know, because he does, he tries to g do normal things with her, but he's, you know, he's being shunned by the entire town. He kind of can't really go anywhere without people bringing up like this uh, kind of terrible thing that he was he was a part of. Right. Um, and and it, it, go ahead. Yeah, and and so we get this just a weird love story out of nowhere that's r not super convincing. Yeah, and and regarding super convincing, like I I think the cast is all right with who we've got here. Jamie Lee Curtis is good. Uh, Andy Matichek ret returns as Allison from the previous films. Rowan Campbell is the new kid. Corey, uh, you got a couple other people. A couple of the officers are back, right? Uh, that 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 one older guy who Laurie was kind of into, he's back. Uh, the, the guy who plays the shape, James. Yes, the guy who plays the shape, James Duke Courtney's back, and that's fine. Um, my God, though, the script in the opening act of this movie is so bad. It's so bad. I was so bored for like an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just, just waiting so to boring. see like, where is this going? And it, it, you my do have that sense of like mystery. Like, what am I watching? What, where is this going? How is this supposed to end up at Michael Myers? And you do get this feeling of kind of evil over the town, especially with this kid who has this tragedy. Uh, but like the first, I mean, the first 45 minutes are like a slog. Like it's, oh my God. <laughs> Michael Myers does not show up until like 45, 50 minutes. And 
he doesn't do much when you do finally see. I mean, he's hardly in I mean, his own his own movie. Yeah, uh, in the yeah. same thing with, with Laurie Strode. Again, the main character has generally been her or a lot of Michael Myers, and they are both sidelined by the newcomer uh, Rowan Campbell Corey. Yes, uh, and the problem is like Laurie. I I don't mind so much. Like obviously, you pay attention when she's there. But like the second Michael Myers shows up on screen, he is all you care about. He's all you're looking at. He steals every scene he's in, and no, no matter whether whether he's killing somebody or he's standing next to somebody or he's hiding behind a tree, like your eyes are constantly darting in the dark for the mask. Like that's that's the heat, that's the smoke. Like Halloween ends brings. That's the thing all these other movies have done, and it's a shame that he gets kind of sidelined at least for a while uh, through one series of events or another. Michael Myers is ultimately found to still be in Haddonfield. And that's when we get a really, really unique relationship between uh, some of our characters and this Myers who has been basically hiding for four years. He is old and he is crippled after the events of Halloween kills. His face mask is half melted and like he's clearly hobbling. Like Kent just does not have it together. Like he is falling apart. Um, and in that <laughs> in way... Living in the sewer, eating rats. Eating in the sewer, eating rats, <laughs> or something. I assumedly rats, right? Yeah. Uh, and in that way, like that, that opens the door for a bit of a transfer, right, between uh, our former antagonist Michael Myers and uh, this evil kind of force around Haddonfield that people have been crying for blood in, and now this kid Corey, who's like this martyr character. Like, we start to feel like that the evil of Myers is not just inside of the man. Like, it is this kind of overarching it's inside us the something. whole time. Right, yeah. Like, the evil was the friends we made along the way. And I don't think that's bad. Like, I, I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, but it, it, it doesn't... It's, it's not quite as fun as watching a bunch of teenagers get murdered. You know what I mean? Like, that'll always be the smoke. And Halloween Ends leans away from that. Like, they, they don't spend a lot of time doing that. At least not until we get to actual Halloween night. Which, thank God, it gets there. <laughs> Almost Barely. an hour of the movie. Yeah, finally. No, that's that's one, of the, one of the issues. Uh, well, one of the things I wanted to say is Michael Myers is very different in this movie than he is in the, the previous one. In, in Halloween Kills, he's like supernatural, damn near invincible. He's peak Myers. He, yeah, right. Yeah, he, he gets, he's, he's getting beat up. He's getting shot, getting stabbed, getting, and nothing could stop him, you know? And, it, and there's a great line that Laura has, like, the more he kills, the more he transcends, which doesn't mean anything, but it sounds cool. <laughs> sounds but, but great. He, but he's, like, supernatural, basically, and now he's, like, basically got a cane and is, you know, getting bested by everyone. It's just, it's it's a really bizarre take. And you're right, the other thing is, the big part of this movie is Halloween. That's when most of everything is supposed to go down. We don't really get to Halloween until pretty late in the movie. And when we get there, you hardly even know it's Halloween. There's like one scene of, of kids in the street. Yeah. I think it's over an hour. Yeah. There's never a single shot of kids trick or treating ever. <laughs> Nobody. The first two there's movies. no parents going to a Halloween party. Oh, like, oh. yeah, the first two movies take place on Halloween night. And this one, takes ages to get to Halloween. It takes ages to get there because it, it starts this whole thing where it's like the, the town is healing and Myers has been gone. And it's like, it's a little bit of that problem old has, right? Like I bought a ticket knowing it's Halloween and Myers is going to kill again. You cannot tell me in the first hour of the movie. Oh, I guess, I guess problem solved. Like I, he's not around anymore. Like 
So that's a bit of an issue. Like the, the pacing suffers. And again, that, that script is rough, man. The relationship between Allison and Corey is like really ham fisted. And, and, and you think at first these characters are going to be a little bit denser than they are, but they all come off really one note. Like Lori's really kind of head in the clouds. I've moved on. Allison is like total simple minded. Oh yeah, let's, let's get away. You know, Corey's like even surprisingly simple, which is a shame. Like it just makes for a dull open, but yeah, like, like Michael Myers totally kills. He, he kills Lori's daughter uh, in in the previous in Halloween Kills, yes. and she's just like, yeah, I mean, it's uh, that sucks. It, was, it sucks that that happened, but you know, you got to go on, <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, she. You see a picture of like, what's her name? She's she's like Laurie Strode's screensaver on her phone. <laughs> she's her lock screen. Like that's what that's what you <laughs> that's see her. Right. Like, oh, there she is. Rip. Yeah, like that's a bummer. Um, I realize we're talking too long about this, so I do need to wrap it up. We do need to actually talk about the horror. And the thrills and the chills, because they do come, which is good stuff. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I think Halloween Kills handled this a little bit better. There's some good stuff in here, for sure. There, there's one particular scene with Myers that's real good. He he uh, runs somebody through with his big old classic uh, steak knife, and then he kind of leans back, and he does this, like, shiver, shudder thing, which <laughs> is real weird. And then he keeps stabbing him, and I'm like, yeah, like, that. I mean, that's good stuff, man. Like, if he feels the evil coursing through him, it's good. Um it doesn't get much better than that, though. <laughs> like they're, they're fine. It's definitely not as violent as Halloween Kills. Halloween Kills, I think, will undoubtedly be the bloodiest of these three. Yeah. Um, but it gets there, which is good, Like because it needed to. Like, thank God. You, you do actually get to a point where people are murdering people, and that's that's a good thing. Leading up to, of course, uh, Laurie Strode and Michael Myers and their big face-off, which is... Un- unfortunately, I think a lot of it's in the trailers. <laughs> Yeah, so this is another issue is that um, the way this film ends feels like it could be the end of the second movie. Like you could just tack it on and it would, kind of. it would really make more more sense and you wouldn't have a whole, you know, an hour and a half of filler basically before you get to the, the final confrontation. Yeah. I don't need my horror movies to have, you know, incredibly elevated scripts. I don't expect everything to be written like an Academy Award winning production. In fact, for a lot of slasher movies, I'm fine with them being cheesy. Like, I really am. That's part of what makes slasher movies work, right? It's just teenagers, you know, having fun in the woods and then somebody evil comes along and and, and make, cuts them into fillets. But like... This one like feels like it struggles because of the expectation that it is going to be something bigger and it subverts that with being something smaller. It's it's a more intimate story. It's kind of not about Laurie and Michael so much. I don't think that's a bad thing, but it leads to being leads to it being divisive. And I've seen people all over the internet like about this. People will say this is easily the worst one. Com- complete trash. Don't waste your time. I've seen other people be like this might be one of the best of the entire series. You know, this is top five material. I, I, don't, I don't, where do you land, Andy? What do you think? I haven't seen all of them. And so I, I it's hard for me to say, I, it's definitely the, I think the bottom of these three that I'm most familiar with. And it, again, it's not really a good Michael Myers movie. It's, it's a decent horror movie on its own. It just doesn't really fit in with the rest of the franchise. Yeah. I, I kind of land in the same boat. Like I felt like, 
Halloween was pretty good, but I wanted more. And then Halloween Kills, I was like, okay, we're getting there. Big ending for three, baby. I, w- I want all the nope. fireworks. Give it to me. <laughs> Wrong. Yeah, it's a boat show. You- you've been fooled. Like, And it's a little bit of a bummer, but it's not bad because, again... In the same way, like Halloween ends has the same like intro sequence as Halloween season of the witch. Like it's the same font choice. Like it is very obviously paying homage to Halloween season of the witch, but it also has to try to be a Halloween movie. And I think that's the problem. It's trying to juggle being its own thing and being a Halloween movie. And like, if it had picked one, it would have worked. I mean, when we saw it, Andy said, right, right at the end of the movie, he's like, I, this could have been any slasher. And it would have worked with this whole plot with the babysitter. It could have been, it could have been a made-up slasher. It could have been a Bloomhouse picture. This is a Bloomhouse picture, actually. But like, it, it could have been anything, and it would have worked. And alternatively, like with the Myers plot, like you kind of could have put anything in the B plot, and it probably would have worked fine. Like, unfortunately, it doesn't feel like the two have a good marriage, like of ideas to come together to make something that's like that everybody likes, and and that's a problem. Um, I think we're ready for recommendations. One more thing. Good score. <laughs> yes, uh, that, yes, old, yes, that, that old John Classic Carpenter Car- Car- turns Car- out Car- again, baby. Oh, yeah. yeah, man, man can't miss. Uh, he get he gets his paychecks for people <laughs> using Halloween, and he still does the scores, which are all good. So rock solid. Uh, anyway, with that, this review ran way too long. Andy, would you recommend Halloween Ends? I would recommend it to fran- fans of the franchise. If you're a completionist and uh, you like horror and the and the Halloween franchise michael myers all that definitely check it out probably wait for streaming you know if you have peacock or if you know someone who does it can borrow a login uh definitely no need to to run out and see it in the theater but definitely for the fans and save it for streaming we should make that a new like bracket in our review status like save it for streaming but don't pay for it like bum, <laughs> yeah. bar the password from bum a password <laughs> Yeah, bum a login. Um, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I unfortunately feel like the best possible way to watch Halloween Ends has already passed us. It was probably opening night, like with a packed theater. That that would have been the best way to go because word's out now that it's different. And different is bad, like especially in horror. What do you want? Do you want the same old Michael Myers slasher or do you want something that's a departure and is doing something different and new? Maybe laying the groundwork uh, for where the series might go after this. Uh, whether that includes Michael Myers or not, I guess you'll have to watch it and see. Unfortunately, I'm not going to say definitively whether or not this is the end of Halloween ends. Like I think a lot of people are hoping, um, but I liked it. I think, I think I liked it. And I think if I go back and watch these three again, at some point, I may even look back on this one better. I, I think, yeah, in a, in a decade, people might look back and go, actually Halloween ends was doing something kind of cool in the horror space, but for where it's at right now, it's either ahead of its time or it's a total miss. <laughs> That's Halloween ends. Uh, and with that, we should probably talk about Halloween at the box office. I know we talked about this a little bit in the front, but we heard some recent news from Christopher Landon, director of Freaky. Uh, Andy, you mind entering this segment for us? It's time for the death of cinema. So we're going to be talking about this uh, article uh, that's titled Freaky Director 
Blast Studios over day and date release amid Halloween ends launch. Quote, unquote, it destroyed us. It destroyed uh, us. So Christopher Landon last year released a film called Freaky starring Vince Vaughn. It was a horror comedy, and it was it was a horror take on the Freaky Friday premise, you know, body swap. And in this one, a cheerleader and a serial killer swap bodies. So the serial killer becomes the cheerleader. Cheerleader's in the uh, grown man's body, uh, played by Vince Vaughn. Uh, we reviewed it on the show. It was okay. Not a great film. It was not released day and date, but it did go to streaming very quickly. This was when they were kind of renegotiating these release windows and it went to streaming in like two, two to three weeks. Um, which because it was bombing at the box office. So it's, it's a strange thing for him to come out and say, this is killing us because a, his, this didn't happen to his film and his film only went to streaming quickly because it was bombing. So that's not to say that this isn't an accurate take in some some ways. I think this is probably did hurt the box office of Halloween ends. Um, but the, they're doing this less and less, the, uh, the day and date releases. You know, HBO or Warner Brothers were, was the big one to do it. Uh, but then they stopped after a year. And Peacock has kind of been the only one still uh, having these day and date releases. So it's worth talking about on our Death of Cinema segment here because in Death of Cinema we talk about what's killing cinema, right? Like what's what's currently hurting the industry? Who's got a hot take? Who's got an opinion? Who's got a policy that is bad and and <laughs> or at least divisive? And like in the case of of Christopher Landon, um, I like I kind of get what he's saying. I, I kind of get it. Um, I kind of understand the idea that like, if you're making a feature and you want it to be cinematic, you want people to be seeing it on the silver screen, right? Like, big and bold, exactly the way it's intended, where you can control the aspect ratio and the sound and people can get their popcorn and see it with their friends. I totally get that. And when it comes to a horror movie, like I also agree that probably the best way to watch a lot of these is like opening night with a theater full of people, right? Who are going to scream and holler and shout at the screen and laugh at the jokes. Like, and you kind of get in on it and you have this group, this collective experience. Like, I think that's really valuable and you are definitely not getting that at home for sure. But that being said, like there's a really big argument for content on the internet and like what helps people grow and gatekeeping things behind a ticket price is not always the best way to do that. There are plenty of things that people have produced over the years. That they end up uploading to YouTube for free instead of putting on a paid platform like Patreon because they feel like the best way to grow their brand and get something they work hard on in front of as many eyes as possible is to put it somewhere where everybody can get it, or at least more people can get it. And in the case of Halloween ends, like I don't think that's a bad thing, especially because of Peacock's subscriber base, which is meager at best i know zero people that have peacock and of the people i do know which is none absolutely none of them would be looking forward to halloween ends on peacock like i i don't i mean that that's got to be like a, a such a small percentage of the people who saw this movie right yeah uh, i mean uh, again if you don't want to go to the theater i mean this is definitely not a kid's movie so you're not gonna be showing it to the family uh, but maybe if you, you know, you don't want to go to a theater or you want to have a small, you know, get together, I could see that, you know, you could ha throw a little like watch party for it. So, so I could see some people doing it, but it's definitely not a lot. It's like, it's a weird thing because a lot of directors, I feel like will get caught up in um, 
the most ideal version of their film, right? Like they want it to be presented in the best format possible. Some people will try to get their stuff put on the Criterion Collection. Some people like George Lucas will never let it go and they will constantly be reworking their films to make them as pristine as possible while after they've already come out. But like in the in case of Christopher Landon, like I, I know that this guy worked hard. Like I know he worked hard to make a movie that he really loved. And a lot of people enjoyed Nobody, I don't think anybody really thought freaky was all that terrible. Um, but like, you don't own your movie, dude. Like the studio that paid $50 million to shoot it owns it like, and they'll put it on DVD and they'll put it on Blu-ray and they'll put it on ultra HD and they'll put it on their streaming service if they want. It frustrates me. That he kind of has this attitude like, well, how, how, how are they going to use it? He says in his tweet, we're going to use your movie as a guinea pig for our streaming service. It's not your movie. It's their movie. Like you, they just gave you the money to make it. That's, that's unfortunately like kind of how the movie business works. Uh, Scorsese recently had some comments about the box office and studios getting caught up in box office returns. Yeah, dude. Movies aren't cheap. Yeah, have you seen how much a freaking light costs lately? Like, do you have any any idea how much an IMAX lens costs? It's insane. Like, people can't compete with this. If you're going to be making big features at the cinematic level, unfortunately, you're going to be subject to like what the studio wants more so now than I think ever. And day and date is a reality. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also. I think we do have to find a balance. I don't think I think day and date can work, but I think maybe something more along the the kind of what Disney Plus was doing, where it was like twenty thirty bucks to to rent it the day of. I think that you would get a better return for anyone who wants to to watch it at home. You know, give you still give people the option, but you know they they absolutely don't don't have to. But you know, we were before the pandemic, we had ninety day windows before things were available to rent. Um, and so like we've negotiated that down hugely and it now t- it's much more flexible. We'll see how a picture does. And then if it's doing poorly, we'll throw it on a streaming service to rent first before it's completely wa- watchable. That's usually still like a few months. Um, but that was a step in the right direction, not a step backwards. No, uh, Landon says in here that <laughs> he should, uh, the studio should be honoring the sanctity of the theatrical experience. And oh it's my like, God. Dude, what do you what do you want? Like, I'm sorry. Did you want Freaky starring Vince Vaughn in a body swap horror comedy to be in theaters for three months? Like, was that really ideal? Should we should we have had a theater set aside at every 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 cinema in America to say, oh, that's why they're running Freaky for ninety days? Like, it was irrelevant two weeks after it came out. We can look at we can look at statistics for how viewer viewership drops off. That's part of the reason Smile actually did so good. People, word of mouth spread it, and people thought it did better and better, and people got to go see it, and it blew up on TikTok. That happens, right? Alternatively, Halloween Ends did not do that good, because after a couple of weeks, people were like, hmm, this has a terrible cinema score, and it looks like it's not doing good on Rotten, and my friend said it was kind of weird. I'm going to skip it. Like, unfortunately, you have to deal with the reality that people are able to get content faster and more efficiently than ever before. We can't just go to our theaters and see the next big picture anymore. Like, we're going to read about it. We're going to hear about it. We're going to see memes about it. You got like three weeks until you're irrelevant, man. Like, going to streaming is not a bad thing because more people will see your movie there. It is more accessible there. (laughs) And that's a good thing for you and your brand and your career and your growth. Like, yeah, yes, it kind of hurts the box office. Bummer. But isn't that the studio's problem? Like, you're Christopher Landon. You're the guy who made Freaky. You should be excited more people are seeing your feature. Yeah, that's always been one of the big things is that, you know, not everyone's access to theaters is the same. If you live in a small town or if you're in kind of a rural area, 
it'd be hard to see anything outside of the big blockbusters at what whatever your local cinema is and streaming it is has made access to smaller uh kind of mid-budget films so much easier than it than it was you know 10 15 years ago yeah i mean through the pandemic people who are immunocompromised weren't going to the theater they still may not feel safe to go to the theater and i know that's a really small percentage of people but it just it just seems silly to me to have a director come out so vehemently against the idea of their film going to streaming and being in people's hands in their homes at least digitally uh sooner rather than later like that's that's bananas like i, I don't it's just a bad take in in my in my humble opinion but we did review Freaky on the show. I don't recall what episode we did. We could scroll back through Spotify and check that out if you like. Any other hot takes on this, Andy, before we move on to Blonde? Uh, other than th- this is still an evolving medium, you know, what the balance is between theatrical, streaming, uh, premium video on demand, when people want to go to theaters, when they want to stream, when they want, are willing to rent, all these things. We're still figuring it out. There's no s- set model yet. It, it's still very much uh, in flux. Yeah, it sure is. And and not everybody's right, right? Like, I, I'm sure Scorsese would have a very different opinion than me on this. But, you know, he's also Scorsese. And this is Christopher Landon. They are they are two directors who have obviously accomplished much more than me. A little bit of pod, little, little, little bitty podcaster down here. But, I, I you know, I'm, we also consume a lot of content. And, like, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being able to get that to people sooner rather than later. Um, yeah. And with that, we should probably move on to our final review of the episode. Andy has graciously agreed to take the summary on this one. Uh, Very excited to talk about it. Andy, please take it away. Blonde. Miss Monroe, it's time. So this is the long-awaited Marilyn Monroe biopic directed by Andrew Dominic, who... uh, is best known for the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford uh, from 2007, 8, around there. Uh, He also made one of my favorite movies, Killing Them Softly, where Brad Pitt plays a a gangster. And this biopic, it's it's a strange thing. It's not expressly a a biopic, but we're going to get into that. It it stars Anna Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe, or as she's mostly referred to in, in this film, Norma Jean. We see the rot, her rise... In, into stardom, her tumultuous childhood, her kind of romantic entanglements, and a lot of rough things along the way. This movie has been very, very divisive uh, for a number of reasons we're, we're going to get into. There's a lot of things that, that work, I think, about this film. There are some nice ideas. There's some parts that are, are pretty difficult to watch, honestly, and some very kind of questionable choices. Uh man, there's there's a lot. I don't want to say too much right now, but there's that's kind of our our setup. It's very different. It's it's almost told. Um, this is also by the way, this is based on a book uh, by Joyce Carol Oates. Um, so it's not like a strict kind of classic biopic that we would have uh, of of an actor or a an, another kind of famous person. Uh, some interesting things that we're gonna talk about and get into Zach what what were some of your initial thoughts so blonde like Andy said has had a bit of a tumultuous release uh it is the first major NC-17 film since Showgirls uh 1995 first NC-17 film we reviewed on this show so that's I'm putting that in the check plus column for off script film review that's good for us <laughs> uh 
And, um, you know, Anna de Armas is starring as Marilyn Monroe, like one of the most brightest stars probably ever to come out of human history that we know of. Like a huge, a huge personality, a huge person. And it's like three hours long, which is intimidating. And then it comes out and people are saying it's like mean. <laughs> I, was, I was interested because people said it was cruel. And I was like, how do you make a movie that's cruel? What does that mean? And then I watched Blonde and I was like, oh, <laughs> this is something else. Uh, you were absolutely right. Blonde is based on a novel from uh, the year 2000 by Joyce Carol Oates, which is a fictionalized account of the life of Marilyn Monroe loosely based on her biography is not actually a biography. I tried to avoid listing this as a biopic in like the off script banner that we've got. It's here biopic adjacent. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like historical fiction. Like yeah. this is not a good representation of Norma Jean's life. Like, and unfortunately in leaving out all, well, I, I should say in highlighting like all of the struggle and tragedy and victim uh victimness of 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 her it leaves out in the cold like any accomplishments or pride or quality that she might have had uh, and that creates a character who is just constantly under a barrage of criticism and self-doubt that is exhausting to watch in a three-hour format like I, I had to watch blonde in parts i couldn't do it all at once uh did you did you watch it all together andy I watched it in parts. I watched the first hour and a half, kind of. I watched the first hour and a half and then took a break Same. and then came Two back and, yeah, and, right. and finished it. Um, it's a lot. What uh, Zach's right. The the movie is kind of focuses, for better or worse, for whatever reason, on... It's like tragedy after tragedy. Uh, it's that, brutal. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was my description, was that it's not that it's cruel, it's just brutal uh, because it... One once it starts with Norma Jean's tumultuous childhood with her mother who's very mentally ill and apparently her father is some estranged Hollywood guy that her mom keeps saying is going to come home one day and uh, of course he he never does. Um, it then jumps to her breaking into the industry, which involves a sexual assault, and then goes to abusive relationship after abusive relationship after abusive relationship. And these are all the things that are focused on. We're not really focused on the highlights, the success, the the comedy, the singing, the acting. It's none of that. It's about the fame and kind of the price of fame, which I think are some of the interesting ideas, like the, the idea of how fame affects a real person and how she is, Norma Jean is playing a character called Marilyn Monroe that we all know and uh you know also issues with substance abuse i mean it's just like it, it's like the valley of that most biopics do and then just none of none of the mountaintops yeah and like that's a surprise cuz Marilyn Monroe like is is the freaking mountaintop like she she is the thing people aspired to be back in the day in fact characters in the film comment on this uh she'll express some some struggle or something to somebody in the movie uh, a helping hand a waiter hairdresser a husband maybe and every one of them will be like norma jean everybody wants to be you everybody wants to be you like what 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 problems could you possibly have which just like leads you further into this feeling of despair <laughs> that she can't get out of this like situation 
It leaves on the on the table like the idea that Marilyn Monroe like made like two hundred million dollars in twenty three movies and was like a sex icon and was like part of the reason Playboy took off. Marilyn Monroe was was the the cover of the first Playboy ever. Huge. Like that whole brand may not exist without her. She started her own production company in a time when women were not making production companies. Huge strides. Like she was a, she was an avid reader. She gave speeches like. <laughs> Before her untimely death, the age of thirty-six. Yeah, uh, big you stuff. Wouldn't know, you wouldn't know it from this movie. None of it. No, none of that's in this movie. Like, instead, this movie starts with Norma coming from a broken home, uh, and and having a mom who's not doing well, and a dad who's never around, and like just kind of drifting from event to event. In fact, Andrew Dominic said, uh, he said the script contains little dialogue and the film is an avalanche of images and events that I would agree with. He also said that stated that the movie will offend everyone and that he's not concerned with being tasteful. The question I have is what are you doing when you make a movie like that? Like it's just, it's just kind of a beating for a couple hours. The thing is this movie kind of works with a number of caveats which um, isn't really acceptable if you if a movie is called Blonde and it's about Marilyn Monroe, you can't tell people. Well, you got to think of that not being around her because it does it does work that way. If this was just about a, an actress, not Marilyn Monroe, it would it could definitely work about like the the abuse in Hollywood, the the pressure, the the pressure of fame, what fame really does to a person. Like th- these are some interesting ideas that that are definitely worth a- exploring. Just with someone else, anybody else, please. Yeah, I was reminded of, uh, interestingly enough, Black Swan, uh, the yep. the Natalie Portman film. Yeah, um, Natalie Portman in that movie like is struggling with all kinds of problems, like with her position, her ability, uh, the the audience, like the voyeurism of the performance of uh, of her care or her role in the in the ballet as the Black Swan uh, in Swan Lake. Um, but she's also like an incredibly accomplished individual and she's operating at the highest possible level of dance you can operate at. And everybody is on like a high wire act because it's so important and and the art and the craft is so meaningful to her. That's part of the reason there's so much stress. Blonde does not explore that. Like Blonde instead almost sees like these things, these films happening to Marilyn as like, I don't know, luck. Like she just, she just lucks into it and it's just like good fortune and it leaves out like any kind of intelligence or real character to her, uh, uh, to, to, to create this, this kind of version of Norma Jean who is just like, I don't know, a, a wistful victim all the time. And like, I, I know this woman had problems, but like it, it genuinely, I think the reason people say it's cruel is because it feels cruel to like what Marilyn Monroe was like looking at her life. It's just like, God, this movie's kind of mean. Like it just, it just kind of punches down on her for two hours, you know, like she's, she's, she's the issue. She's the problem. Um, it's a bummer. Yeah. It, it's, it's rough. It's rough. It's really rough. And it just seems like the whole thing is, is negative. That being said, I do want to talk about some of the stuff that I think does work yeah. uh, pretty well. It is a very, it's just an incredibly artistic film. Like this is probably one of the most artistic films I've seen this year. Uh, the cinematography is incredible. Uh, it's shot in a different ratio. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's not the usual nine by 16. 
um, that that re- that standard screen size. It's a little bit shorter than that, and the screen ratio changes. Is we get a, just a few film uh, sequences where the entire uh, screen is taken up. Most notably in the middle of the film when we get the famous uh, shot of uh, Marilyn Monroe over the grate with her white dress holding it down, like the incredibly iconic famous shot. That's one of the few times we have a full screen and like the music's going and there's some slow-mo and there's flashes of light. Like the cinematography is is really top notch and really kind of helps tell the story. And along with the, the score by, Oh, I can't remember Warren Ellis and Nick cave. The score works really well. Too actually, I'm going to add it to our our, our long running playlist of of film Ooh. scores. Yeah. Uh, the, it's so it's incredibly artistic the way it's kind of telling these these stories, and that part did did work for me. Yeah, I, I should say I really like how this movie's made, and that was a weird thing of, of the criticism that I heard. Uh, people, kind of film critics that I pay attention to, would say like it's a mean movie, it's mean spirited, but man, it's it's well put together. It's a good movie, like it's it's well made for what it is. Uh, yeah, Dominic has no problem jumping between black and white and color uh, aspect ratios. This is something I've noticed in like Wes Anderson movies. Uh, most recently grand Budapest hotel jumps around a bit. I think French dispatch does the same thing. This makes those movies look like child's play the way it jumps around between black and white and color between aspect ratio. There's a couple scenes where the aspect ratio will shift while you're watching it. It will shift from widescreen to square to close in on Marilyn during like a stressful moment, induce claustrophobia for the viewer. There's other scenes that will bounce regularly between black and white and color. I'm sure there's a theme to it. I I could not identify it in two hours. At first I thought maybe it's only black and white when she feels like Norma Jean and maybe it's color when she's like Marilyn, but I'm not even sure. I'm genuinely not even sure that comes through. There's, there's, there's certain scenes where I, I I couldn't get a read on it. So uh, Dominic is very bent on using a lens. That's like very voyeuristic. He's got everything locked on a tripod and he's constantly following Marilyn in every scene. I, she's in every scene. I think like it, it is, it's constantly about her, but like you said, there's not that much dialogue and it genuinely is images and events. Like it's, it's mostly just like a showcase of this like 36 year span of her life, uh, leading ultimately to an untimely demise. Um, and it's not, it, man, it's, it's a rough, <laughs> it's a rough ride. I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it all in one. I, I wish I could, but I, I just, I don't know. I also, that also brings me to Anadarmus performance as Marilyn Monroe. Uh, she, she has, she carries this film on her back. Like she carries Dude. the whole team on, on she her really back. She really does. She's, yeah. she's almost in every, every scene. And like I said, this is a brutal film where it, again, it's a lot of abuse, a lot of the time. And I swear she's, she's like in tears half the movie easily. Yeah. Um, and, and she, she nails the look. I was a little suspicious about whether or not she'd be able to cover up her accent. Cause Anna Darmus is Cuban. She has a pretty strong Spanish accent, but she hides it really, really well. You can't hardly t- tell, but she nails the look. She's got the the breathy speech, and I mean, she's acting her face off completely. I don't. I wonder if she'll be recognized by the Academy. It definitely deserves to be recognized, but it's also such a brutal film, and Hollywood doesn't like you know a negative take on one of their biggest stars of all time. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Academy reacts to it, if at all. 
Yeah, Hollywood also doesn't love NC-17. That's traditionally a problem. Oh, that, fortunately, oh yeah, that too. Is, yeah, fortunately, this is distributed on Netflix. Yeah, uh, Anita Armas is great in this movie. Th this might be like top three all time for her performances. She's so good. She's so good, dude. Like, she she goes deep every time on the emotion. Like, Norma Jean, Marilyn Monroe is this, like, larger-than-life icon, and Norma Jean is just this paper-thin shell of a person. And her trying to walk this tightrope between the two, leading to, like, really shaky, like, performances at the end. I mean, you see it in the teaser trailer where she's, like, looking in the mirror, like, begging Marilyn to come out. Like, please, just one more time. Like, she's trying to summon a genie. Like it's, it's fascinating and it kills me that in 2021, when this film ran for test screenings, people complained about her accent. They were like, she sounds too Cuban. She worked on her accent for nine months trying to get the voice down for this movie, like to get it right. And people still complain. Andrew Dominic said they did post-production work after the fact to tweak her vocals to make her sound more American. I didn't hate the accent at all. And I'll tell you why. It's because this movie is not quite a representation of Marilyn Monroe's life. It's it's different. It's, it's a twist. And like what I like about that is... The Armist manages to embody this character of like a young up and coming starlet who doesn't quite have the confidence to get over the top with this kind of thin, wavery voice. She gets it so good because it feels like a little bit of a reflection of her own career, like when they were shooting this movie in 2019 and they were working up to it and she was like becoming this character and really trying to lean in but still unsure of herself. Like, that fits so good with Norma Jean. It's like Michael Keaton playing Birdman. Like you, you managed to cast somebody who not only can get the look, especially when she's wearing the makeup. Oh my God. You put, you put the, you put the, you, you put the, the pot, the mark on her cheek and you give her the eyeshadow. Like she, she looks like Marilyn Monroe, but like she, I think she does great. I think she is so good. And yeah, I, I, do, I hope she gets some, some notoriety for this one. Cause she's really good in it. It's, it's one of my favorite performances from her movie also features Bobby Cannavale, Cannavale, kind of uh, as one as Joe DiMaggio, who she was married to for a while. Uh, the baseball player also, uh, Miller, Adrian Brody is Arthur Miller. Yes, the the playwright and 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 poet who she was also married to for a little while. Other than that, I don't know if there's any actors and actresses worth worth mentioning. Those are two the two real big ones. There's some other people who are fine, but nobody who's done no, no, no real notable names. I don't think. Uh, yeah, the, there are some other stars in this, but besides her, but she's definitely doing the leg the legwork. Uh, for sure, and like I said, it it jumps through most most of her relationships, and unfortunately, it's defined largely by them. Like she's not Marilyn Monroe; she's so and so's wife, so and so's yeah. girlfriend. Uh, which is uh, again, it's not. It's sort of a biopic, not really. It, but it's just hard to market it. Like, how do you market that? Like, it's called Blonde. It's about Marilyn Monroe, but it's not. You're like, it's not really. You know, it's historical fiction. It's not real life and it's that's just confusing to people and if you have to tell people a bunch of caveats in order to enjoy the movie or to watch the movie like you've kind of done, done something something wrong or you just got to figure out a better way to um to market it yeah it's a shame i i think this movie has a lot going against it not only is, is it you know got some harsh reviews from people who are like this movie's really mean which you know myself included um, it's also again NC-17. Uh, IMDb says this is this is the, the first American NC-17 film in like nearly a decade. Like there's not actually been a formally released film with that rating outside of this one since like I don't know 2014 or something. Um, 
that hurts it. Uh, they were reportedly surprised when that rating came out. Uh, Anna de Armas said, like, she she's she said, I can point out more movies or TV shows that have more sexual content than this movie. Um, you know, you're gonna have to watch it and find out for yourself. But big content warning on that side. There are some some sexual scenes. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I have much more to say, honestly. Like, I, I feel like I've aired my laundry about it. I just... I don't know. I, yeah, I'm, I'm split on blonde. I, I don't like the representation of Marilyn Monroe, but I also like Anna de Armas in, in the character she's playing here. Like in that way, like I think this movie does a poor job of being a Marilyn Monroe movie, but it is kind of cool for what it is. It's something different, you know? It almost needed to be more fiction in this historical fiction. Like you could have had her, but she's Norma Jean, a blonde actress going through you know who's like she's basically marilyn monroe but you're not going to call her that you're not going to say she's that like it's going to be because you got to get people to think that this is not like a biopic because it's it's just brutal if you think of it that way yeah it really is um any any other thoughts on this for recommendations i think i'm ready andy would you recommend blonde uh that's a tough (laughs) tough one (laughs) I I would recommend it only to the the staunchest fans of of bold cinema. Uh, you just have to go into it knowing a number of things. First of all, it's nearly three hours long, and I think this would actually work better on on the big screen. It, it reminds you a little bit of Elvis. Like if you're going to sit there for three hours, it kind of needs to be seen on the big screen, and the cinematography lends itself to that. Um, it is a brutal film. Again, lots of content warning. There's lots of uh, sexual content. There's sexual assault. There's substance abuse. There's domestic abuse. There's just a lot. It's kind of a beat down, and I don't really know who uh, to recommend that to. Really, that that's one of the tough ones. But if you're interested, if you're a fan of Marilyn Monroe, you if you're a big fan of hers, probably uh, would enjoy just seeing what it's all, all about. But uh, just go in there knowing that it's it's not the typical biopic uh yeah i'm in the same boat i I think watch it in parts if you're gonna watch it um i I, just kind of the nature of what it is it's not it doesn't have a very coherent like captivating script all the way through like it it is pretty minimalist and while the images and 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 kind of the, the tone coming out of it's good it makes for a tough watch at over two hours um that being said, I, I didn't dislike it. I, it's just, I don't know. It's a tough one to try to recommend. Um, but I, I think it's, I, I you know, for Andrew Dominic, I think it's good work. Like, I, I really do. I, I think Anna de Armas really shines in it. And it's a bummer that she probably won't get more notoriety for it. But I don't know. That's blonde. Um, I think that's our show for the week. Andy, what are we watching next week? At long last, Black Adam. Oh, man. Uh, the, <laughs> the DC superhero picture starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson in his uh, superhero debut, long-awaited uh, film Black Adam, also starring Pierce Brosnan and others as the Justice Society of America. That's the only film we're going to be taking on uh, so far. We're going to see if there's anything on streaming or anything maybe horror-wise that, that piques our interest. Otherwise, we're just going to focus on that. And I won't have to hopefully watch that stupid trailer I've been watching it for six months for Black Adam. I can't wait till it's till it's out. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see if he's a hero or if he hurts people. We're gonna find out when we see Black Adam. Uh, excited for Black Adam. I hope it's good stuff. I'd like to watch something a little. I don't know, spooky or offbeat. Is October, but something we can watch at home. I don't want to go to the theaters twice this week. 
Uh, if you enjoyed our show today, I got to do the standard plug stuff. You can find us on Facebook where we live stream the show every Tuesday at about 4.30, 4.45, maybe 5 p.m. You can follow us on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. We upload our live streams to YouTube where you can follow us there as well. Our audio version of the show is on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, you name it. We're probably on there. And if you like the show and you like what we're doing, you can write in. And tell us things you think we should watch or share your hot takes on Blonde or Halloween ends. Whatever you've got on your mind, you can mail us at, you can write into our mail at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. You can check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. The biggest thing you can do to help the show, if you like what we're doing here, you can drop a, a tip in our proverbial tip jar, is just subscribe to the show. Subscribe on YouTube or Facebook. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you're at. Just just drop us that one little subscription. Maybe two if you can swing it. Follow us. You know, all that stuff. Throw a like on it, a heart, if you will. And maybe leave a comment. Let us know what you thought of the show. Give us some feedback. If it's good stuff, hey, we'll read it on the air. Live correspondence. You too can be a part of Offscript Film Review. Uh, I think that about wraps everything. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.